Welcome to First Class Fantasy. I'm Theo Greminger, joined by Billy Muzio, the one and only Billy Muzio in the cut. Last time you saw us, we were talking with John Daigle about the playoff contest in the FFPC. So we've come kind of a long way. Billy, your 49ers have now made the Super Bowl. How confident are you feeling in this game? And what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm feeling more confident than the Bucks are showing. I liked. I thought the first line was more accurate than where we're at today. Um, I understand people want to hate on my boy Brock Purdy, um, and the, the the common emphasis is on his his poor play throughout. You know, his small window of poor play, I should say, because throughout the season, if you were to just look at a stat line, no name on the top of the sheet, just a stat line. It would be an amazing stat line for any quarterback in the league, let alone Brock Purdy. And the fact that he has the defense that he has, the weapons that he has, I like the 49ers' chances. Um, Kansas City, in my opinion, has played poorly all season. Um, their two best games have been the last two games. So, yes, they are hot. But that being said, um, they're very beatable. And we've seen them kind of be attacked in multiple ways um, throughout the season. And they have you know, looked very bad at times. And uh, I don't think that they are um, – going to be able to handle this 49ers defense, but also the explosiveness that we have on offense. So I think that we're a different matchup than what they've seen throughout the season. And and I, I do think the 49ers have the edge. I like the line of two and a half at the beginning of the season or beginning of, of the week. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like for me, I feel like this game could go either way. I think it's going to be like from a neutral perspective, I think it's going to be a very tight Super Bowl. I think both defenses could cause the opposing offenses uh, difficulties. I think I'm I'm a little worried that it could end up being a low scoring one a little bit lower scoring than we would like. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's going to come right down to the wire. I lean Kansas City just because of the Mahomes factor, but if you had to pick the the like if we had to go unit by unit, I think San Francisco is the the stronger team. So, you know, if you're if you're on Brock Purdy having a really strong game, I think that could be the X factor. I just think that Kansas City defense, that's a hardened defense. Uh, they've been there before. I think they could really affect him. So, who knows? But Billy, this show is not about your San Francisco 49ers, even though I mean, we, we could look, just change it and just talk about it the whole time. We could go straight up 49ers show. No, 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 Billy. This is, <laughs> this is, I, I, I'm like, so Billy and I, we've been doing first class fantasies now for a while and we've been ripping through. It's been a really, really great year for us. Um, but you know, we usually get super, super organized on the show sheet. Billy's a, Billy's an organized guy. He likes a tight show sheet. So we usually do that, but I sent Billy a show sheet today and this is just ideas and vibes because we're trying to dive into the entire NFL free agency, cut candidates, trade candidates, and try to take like a bird's eye view. All week long, you're hearing about the NFL, the NFL like playoffs and the Super Bowl, or you're hearing about the Senior Bowl and the 2024 draft class. We're giving you that at Player Profiler, but we're taking a little break this week here on First Class Fantasy. We're diving predominantly into the free agent class. And Billy, before we do that, your thoughts on Ben Johnson coming back to Detroit, because this is like a huge outcome for fantasy managers. Yeah, I was a bit surprised. Um, very rarely do we see like an OC or DC turn down a head coaching opportunity. Um, but it, it speaks it, to me, it speaks more about the culture that Dan Campbell has created. And so I think you have to look at this as a positive for the Lions, of course. I think it's a negative for for Ben Johnson. I think he could have be, easily become a head coach and had progressed in his career. Like my fear is that what if the Lions aren't as good next year and he's kind of squanders the opportunity to become a head coach in a significant a place. And there's a lot of openings. He kind of could have picked and choose, quite frankly, where he wanted to go. Um, that being said, I still think that it speaks to Dan Campbell's character. It speaks to the uh, culture that he's been kind of creating in the Lions, the the grit and the grind uh, mentality. Um, and, you know, they have unfinished business, per se, is what they, they, the quote is. Um, so got to love to see the energy and the, and the reason behind it. But I do fear that this was kind of the most opportune time to become a head coach for him. Yeah, it seemed like he had his kind of his pick of the litter, could have easily gotten the Seattle or the Washington jobs. And I think there's something to be said with, you know, there was all those reports that he wanted like 15 million a year. Maybe that's the case. And this is a guy that's going to kind of pick and choose. I'll say, you know, we saw him take big strides in his second season. That whole core is super young. The offensive line is, is super strong. And they have, you know, I know this because I'm diving into it for my free agency article. Detroit's in great shape. They have the sixth most cap space in the league. They have their first and second round pick. 
Last year, we saw them get like a David Montgomery. Uh, they might be buyers on the market and end up with one of these players we're going to talk about today. But when when we're looking at the free agent class, there's a ton of skill position guys that I'm sure we're excited about. But I think that the one player that is sort of like the biggest domino to fall is Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is easily the top quarterback available on the market. At the time that he got injured last year, Billy, he had 18 touchdown passes, only five interceptions. He was leading the NFL in touchdown passing, in touchdown passes. Uh, he was set to have a, a, a really, really terrific year for him. Goes down. Now he's on a Minnesota Vikings team that's kind of at a crossroads. It seems like the the most logical decision for them would be to bring back Kirk Cousins. But all reports from their media is it's a 50-50 proposition. So my first question to you is, there's a couple teams kind of mentioned for Cousins landing spots. Where would you be most excited about him landing for fantasy? Denver, Atlanta, or the Las Vegas Raiders? Those are the three that kind of come up as potential landing spots the most. Well, I think the obvious answer is I'd love to see him uh, stay as a Viking because he's got the weapons and the chemistry with Justin Jefferson, TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison, even in his first year. So I think that's the ideal situation. Um, secondary, I, I'd actually like to see Atlanta because you yeah. have, you know, a, a surrounded by talent. You know, he's got an alpha receiver. He's got an alpha tight end that who finally might actually use with no Arthur Smith in town. Um, you know, they have, you know, an elite running back. And so there's a lot of young talent on this team um, that really just need a quarterback that's going to elevate them all. And so I think that this could be a kind of a dream scenario. Um, and quite frankly, they're probably a quarterback away from winning the division and potentially, you know, making a playoff run. So I think that Atlanta makes the most sense from paper, um, but I think it's going to break down to money. It's going to break down to timeline. When is he going to be ready? How, is, how soon is he able to get on the field and start you know, gaining chemistry? That might all come into play in this contract negotiation where he lands. It seems like it's a whatever team's willing to give him the most guaranteed money where Minnesota might be at a, like a, a two years, you know, two years max, and maybe another team gives him a third year. Cousins has made a fortune. Uh, and I do think that there's going to be, there's also potential like, the teams that are up there in the odds, the Denver's, the Atlanta's, the Vegas, there's going to be a couple of like surprise teams that might enter the mix to try to figure out a way to get Kirk Cousins and, and view him as a big upgrade. But I love what you said about Minnesota. Uh, that's the best landing spot for him fantasy-wise because the weapons there are outstanding and he has familiarity in the system. And Billy, just a quick uh, pivot away, TJ Hawkinson looks like he's going to be set to miss some time next year. How many games? I don't know. Let's say he's going to miss the, at least the first six games of the year. I think that would be a, a, a pretty optimistic outlook for him. Um, how good could a consolidated passing attack with Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison look uh, where those guys are, are seeing incredible like combined 52, 53% target share? Yeah, it would be pretty consolidated. I do think, though, that if we're looking at Hawkinson as a pup candidate. I could see them signing a veteran uh, or a free agent to, to kind of get by in the meantime, because um, this is a team that could easily make playoffs still. And so I don't think they're just going to wait and play the waiting game. I think they, they make some moves and maybe it's a, maybe they dress in the draft. Maybe they dress in free agency. Uh, I don't know if they already got some names here tied in. I think you do. I haven't even looked. I shoot. do. Nothing so, too exciting. I mean, I think that they also could just go with. But those nothing too exciting names are perfect for a six week fill in, right? Or or an eight week fill in if they're doing well. And so I think that it gives them flexibility. Um, I'm more curious about what they're going to do at running back, quite frankly, than 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 at tight end because that's kind of the missing piece for them. And um, we we definitely saw some flashes from the backfield, but um, you know Madison wasn't the answer. So I definitely think that there's going to be some moves there as well. Yeah, and you know we'll get to running backs, but I think that there's like right now I see Ty Chandler as a guy that I'm looking to get in early like like underdog best ball drafts, early FFPC best ball drafts because they didn't show any like really willingness to kind of go out of house last year to pick up a running back. In fact, they paid Alexander Madison, so they have Ty Chandler on like a really really cheap deal. He's only going to be entering his third season in the league. Uh, was a day three guy. He flashed enough. I think that if they draft somebody, uh, you know, in this NFL draft and have like sort of a committee backfield with Chandler, uh, some Madison and also a rookie, 
I think that Chandler could end up being kind of a, a sneaky source of fantasy points. So definitely, yeah, it would be really fun to see Minnesota go out and get a stud running back. But again, they have that quarterback position uh, to deal with. And speaking of quarterbacks, Billy, Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, it seems like, you know, if I told you a year ago that Baker Mayfield would be one of the, the biggest free agent names this offseason, you probably would have pushed back on that. But he finishes with over, over 4,000 passing yards, had the ninth most passing yards in the NFL. Tampa Bay won the division. Now, Tampa Bay, it seems like a foregone conclusion that they're going to re-sign Baker. They have $34 million in cap space. Um, I think this could end up being like a Geno Smith-type deal for him. Uh, but if he were to go on the market, what do you think his the the demand for for Baker would be? I mean, I think it's fairly high, but I don't think he hits the market. I think this is both teams were content with uh, the situation last year. I think it showed that he was valuable. I think that the chemistry he developed with Mike Evans, it probably they probably bring him back now as well. So I, I think this is kind of. I mean, this was a team that not a lot of people expected to make the playoffs. People had them under projected. I remember getting the deals in 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 drafts last season, and I, I think we even talked about it on the podcast saying, "What if we saw eighty percent of the Baker Mayfield we saw in the Rams' offense?" It was a common discussion that we had on this podcast, and we saw more than eighty yeah. percent. It was probably closer to ninety or hundred percent of what we saw of him as the Rams' quarterback. And so, I, I think that. It's a system. It's a it's a chemistry, but it's also a confidence booster for him here in Tampa Bay. And um, I mean, let's face it, he was you know a, a, a top drafted p- player out of college. Um, you know, landed on the Browns. Unfortunately, no one really does well in the Browns outside of Nick Chubb. Um, and so it's one of those things that just kind of demoralized him, and he lost his confidence. And then goes out to the Rams, rebuilds that confidence, and boom, he's in Tampa and he's succeeding again. So I think that. This is a good fit. I don't think he walks. I don't really even want to discuss where else he's going to land because I don't think he's going to go anywhere else. So I think if I had to, put, uh, you know, I don't like to place all my eggs in one basket, push all my chips in, but this is one that I would probably push all my chips in and say that he's staying in Tampa. I agree with you. I think it's kind of a waste of time to, to kind of like guess landing spots. I think the deal would be demand for him on the market, but Tampa Bay would be very foolish. Uh, they would be very foolish to, to get away from Baker because it's working. I will say that the one fear for that entire offense, much like you brought up Ben Johnson, if he would have left, we would have had question marks like that offense sort of maximized themselves this year. They were consolidated enough. We got a lot of touches for Rashad white. Uh, Mike Evans had a dream season and, you know, we saw flashes from Kate Otten, but Dave Canales is now the head coach in Carolina. Uh, You know, I have worries about this Tampa Bay offense because everywhere Dave Canales goes, he seems to be like the quarterback whisperer and now he's going to be gone. Uh, that'll be an interesting uh, interesting team to monitor this offseason. One more name kind of floating around free agent-wise for the quarterback position, Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill is looked at as, I think, kind of like the stopgap, sort of like we saw with like a Jimmy Garoppolo last year where a guy with previous starting experience, uh, no one would be super excited about him, but he could backdoor his way into a starting job this year if things don't shake out. Like, for instance, if Justin Fields does not get traded, then he stays in Chicago. That's one less, you know, starting job to fill and one less guy that would be ahead of Tannehill. Do you see Tannehill as a really gross option or could he be a guy that could provide some like, let's call it mid QB2 numbers in the right system? Yeah, I think he can still provide mid QB2 numbers. Uh, We look at last year even, Levis gets hurt, Tannehill comes in, kind of see a spark of life again in the offense. And so I know he has his downfalls and he has, um, you know, he's not, he's not the most, he's not the best like pocket passer. He's, he's kind of inconsistent as a, as a passer in general, but uh, I still think that he can lead a team. He can game manage a team to the playoffs. So I could see a scenario where like Atlanta, where he steps in as a one year filler and he's, helping them bridge that gap. Or I could see him land, um, you know, somewhere else that is just needed that one quarter, one year. Right. And I mean, Atlanta makes a lot of sense, but I, I, who knows what Atlanta is going to do is where I think they're going to attack pretty heavily in the draft and make, make some trades and moves. Um, you can even see someone like fields land there. So I think there's a lot of potential opportunity, but Tannehill is probably a one year fill. And Billy and I are going to talk about draft prospects, but one prospect I think could be kind of a matchup with Tannehill. If some team, really likes J.J. McCarthy. He's the 20-year-old quarterback from Michigan, obviously would have benefited from another year at Michigan, would have been potentially a top 
10 pick, I think, next year if he would have returned. But, you know, I don't think he's a guy you could put out there. Maybe a team says, let's draft McCarthy and then we'll sign a guy like Tannehill, you know, to start eight games or so until we think McCarthy's ready to get out there. That's just kind of galaxy braining it. Uh, but let's talk trades here because, you know, you bring up Justin Fields and we'll talk about him in a moment. But Sam Howell, Washington looks like a team that's one of the most likely teams to draft a quarterback. They have the number two overall pick. They can either trade up to one and select Caleb Williams, who's from Washington, D.C., or they can stay at two and have their pick of Drake May or Jaden Daniels. And Washington just hired Dan Quinn. I mean, come on, that's you know about as boring as it gets. But they have a ton, a ton of picks uh, and a lot of cap space. So, you know, it's kind of an appealing place for a young quarterback. That being said, Sam Howell, they draft him in the fifth round two seasons ago. Last year, he was fantasy friendly. We even had Sam Howell on a team we split, Billy. But Sam Howell would be kind of in limbo and in purgatory if they draft a Drake May or a Jaden Daniels. Where would be some teams you'd like to see Sam Howell? And does his game translate? Is he a guy that immediately goes to another team and produces for fantasy? Or was this sort of a potential one-year wonder? I think it translates. He's not afraid to push the ball down the field. He's not afraid to take chances. I mean, it's kind of a, a tale of two tales, though. You know, he's going to have some success. He's going to have some interceptions. So bit of a gunslinger. Um, I could see somewhere. I keep going back to Atlanta. Atlanta, Atlanta work. That's that's um, the nut spot. The nut spot, right? Denver would honestly work. I don't know how long he'd last with Peyton, though. That's that's a that's a. That's not really Peyton style, um, but, you know, they have the weapons to succeed. So I, I don't think that it was a one-year wonder. I think he has the ability to be a starting, you know, caliber quarterback. I think he's just got to, you know, reel it back at times and make smarter decisions. And it's just going to take the right person to coach him and develop him. Um, but I think that he has some allure inside of the NFL still. Yeah, I think there's actually going to be a pretty big market for him if he goes out uh, on the open market. And I think there's certain teams where you maybe a team with a, older quarterback might say that I can go get Howell and then he could be like the the future replacement for for Matt Stafford. I think Sean Payton might murder him because like, he can't pick up the blitz at all. I think that's kind of the, the downfall for Howell is he just doesn't see it. Um, and Sean Payton seems to have like a little bit of a short leash. And I'll throw out New England because I think that it's kind of a foregone conclusion for some that New England is going to take a quarterback at the 103, but they might not be able to uh, pass up on Marvin Harrison Jr., kind of a generational wide receiver prospect. And maybe if they don't believe in Jaden Daniels or Drake May to that capacity, you know, going out and getting a Sam Howell, I think they could also be a, a team in the market. You, you also have the Raiders as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Raiders need to be mentioned for for all of these. And that's sort of a team that was kind of on the cusp this year ever since Antonio Pierce took over. And they have all these question marks at quarterback. They're kind of in that position in the draft where maybe they're trading up. It's really a cascade effect. But you brought up Justin Fields. Where does your gut say? Does Chicago select Caleb Williams at one and move on from Justin Fields? Or do they say, we're building something, we've seen enough out of Fields talent-wise, despite his 10-28 and 28 record as a starter? I think Justin Fields is a far better fantasy quarterback than he is a real life quarterback. And so that's what we need to distinguish it or, you know, distinguish the differences as fantasy players and analysts, because let's face it, he's actually been pretty atrocious as a passer inside the NFL. He's only had 61% completion percentage once in his three years. He has yet to eclipse 2,600 passing yards. He's only hit 7.1 yards per attempt in three years. Um, he's made all of his, you know, living on the ground, but it's, it's not like it's getting the job done. So I think he's definitely improved, but now you talk about a, you know, second contract, it's going to start affecting cap space. If I'm the bears, I draft Caleb Williams and I move Justin Fields for, you know, around one if possible. Like you could see them flipping him to Atlanta. Who's in the what top where's Atlanta in the draft this year. They're they're uh they're up there. Are they at eight? Is it eight? Yeah, I believe it's at eight. I mean, you could see them flipping fields to eight to Atlanta, it solves their pro quarterback problem. <clears throat> they're able to kind of upgrade, trying to change the look of the offense. Goes back to the Atlanta Michael Vick days that can kind of change the the look of the offense. They have the weapons to succeed. And so that's a likely scenario in my opinion. And I think that if I'm the Bears, at least I'm drafting Caleb Williams and building off a rookie contract. I think at the end of the day, they cannot pass up on Caleb Williams. And I think Justin Fields ends up being like a huge fantasy domino to fall. I think you bring up like the, a really, really good point that 
a lot of times these quarterbacks that are super fantasy friendly, that doesn't always correlate with what the NFL teams are going to think about him. The market might be smaller for Justin Fields than than some of us think, despite his youth, despite his production. It just comes down to the win losses. And it might be an unfair thing to kind of put that on him, but he certainly has lost a lot of games. So I would be super excited if he ended up in Atlanta. And I'll, I'll go kind of further down the list. I think Pittsburgh could be a wild card for him. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it wouldn't be necessarily the greatest thing for him to end up in, a, in an Arthur Smith offense, but I think Pittsburgh could be looking to upgrade the quarterback position. And if the market is a little less for fields, they're the kind of cagey, uh, cagey organization that might say, you know, this is worth us taking a little bit of a gamble here and pushing it in. And a few Pittsburgh more things with, with, with fields, like looking at some of the analytics and we're talking about like analytics that are not fantasy numbers right like pure passer numbers like completion percentage versus man he was quarterback 29 at 52.6 percent completion percentage versus zone he was quarterback 33 at 60.1 percent these are the kind of stats that the nfl gms and their analytics department are looking at it's how are they performing as a passer how are they performing as a quarterback not as a fantasy quarterback as we are used to as analysts, but these are the kind of things that they're going to look at and say, he's just not making the cut. Yes, he's developed. Yes, he's been better. But now we're looking at a potential, you know, 60, 50, 60 plus million dollars a year. You know, what what's, what do you pay Fields? I don't think he's worth that, but he's going to want that. And at this point now, you just move on. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And also, like Caleb Williams to me is just, just a generational type prospect. Like I, the same way people were viewing like a Trevor Lawrence, I'm there plus with with Caleb Williams. I think he could change a franchise and kind of elevate everybody around him. Billy, we got to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about running backs and wide receivers, and maybe a couple of tight ends. Oh, I see it every day online, every single day. Hey, that looks like a great fantasy team in an eight team league. Oh, wish I could be in a league with you, right? Well, guess what? Now you can respond with, sure, let's play on Betel. That's the beauty of this platform. This new Betel platform standardizes all position scoring. So you just load your team and you challenge your friend, your colleague, Twitter troll, and you can browse other teams and issue challenges. Betel is revolutionizing fantasy football. And with code UNDERWORLD, you get a $100 instant deposit match plus a free $10. So even if you deposit 20 you get 50. Think about that. So go to Betel.com. The code is Underworld. Betel.com. The code is Underworld. Or click a link in the description. It's fun to be right. Welcome back to First Class Fantasy. Theo Greminger and Billy Muzio bringing you a free agent slash NFL offseason preview show Billy, we just spent like 20 minutes on quarterbacks. That was, you know, we got we to save a little time for the positions that really matter to us in fantasy, and that's running back. And this is the wildest offseason I can, I can remember. You have so many players that are on the open market and so many players that also are potential cut candidates at a position that is one of the biggest driver for fantasy success. And let's start at the top. This week, Saquon Barkley switched representation. So he's got somebody else uh, kind of representing him this year. If you recall, last year we had like the a standoff where New York wanted to franchise tag him, and there was all this pushback from the Barkley camp. He eventually accepts a deal that was seemed like a low offer, but it was almost like a principal thing, and he took it, got a little extra money last year, but now New York can franchise tag him again because he didn't sign it last year. So Saquon could get franchise tagged or if he could enter the open market as a guy who I think would command a ton of interest. So let's play a little Saquon roulette here. Where is Saquon's ADP for you? If he's simply franchise tagged as a New York giant, would you say higher than 18 overall or lower than 18 overall? He's on the giants and say lower than 18 overall. Okay. So we're saying somewhere in the second round. Yeah. I'd say two, three turn at the highest. I don't okay. think he I don't think he makes it much higher than that this year. Two three turn. Okay. So looking at putting my I'm gonna say manager, two three turn highest. He probably lives like three six through like three twelve. Okay, so we're we're in the third round. We're not super excited about it, 
but he's such a talented player and the volume would be there in New York. We've seen it though. Um, you know, I don't really believe in Brian Dable at this point. We'll see. Let's get a little bit more exciting here. The Cincinnati Bengals have the fourth most cap space in the league. They could look at Saquon Barkley as an upgrade to Joe Mixon, who's rapidly aging. Uh, if Saquon Barkley signs with a team like Cincinnati as their running back, where does his ADP land? I don't think he goes to Cincinnati. I don't think they're smarter than that. But um, you'd have to look at the offense. Probably this is probably where he does live in the second round, like late second, probably like twenty to twenty-four. Um, maybe sneaks in early third. So it's kind of like it's kind of the same range Joe Mixon was last year. Okay, so let's let's go down the list a little more. Some some team that I think this one makes more sense. The Houston Texans have been linked to mm. Saquon Barkley. Houston has tons of cap space. They are the seventh most cap space in the league. And you could, you know, they got a lot out of Devin Singletary last year. This coaching staff showed no allegiance to Damian Pierce. They have tons of youth at the wide receiver position and CJ Stroud on a rookie quarterback contract. Saquon Barkley becomes a Houston Texan. Where does he go um, kind of in your own personal rankings? I think the same as Cincinnati You'd probably seem at like middle of middle to end of second round. Still, there's still question marks. I mean, Barkley is a, you know, immensely talented running back, but we have to start being concerned. He's, you know, 27 years of age. Um, he's only had two seasons where he's played 16 games, his rookie season in the 2022, where he arguably should have been, you know, comeback player of the year. And so there's, there's concerns about durability and health. And now his age is peaking. Um, I like, I'd like Houston as an opportunity as a spot for him, but I would still have some concerns. Okay, let's go away from Saquon. The next sort of you know most attractive free agent would be Josh Jacobs. The Josh Jacobs was posting RB one overall numbers all but two seasons ago. He's absorbed a ton of volume. He actually saw in a volume increase when Antonio Pierce took over as interim head coach. Uh, now Josh Jacobs is sitting there as a free agent. It's a deep class. Do you view him as a guy who is going to command the same sort of attention as Saquon Barkley, or are you a little concerned about the volume he's absorbed over the last few seasons? I'm a bit concerned about the volume, and I also just don't think Josh Jacobs is that good of a back. Um, I think he was kind of in the right place at the right time with the Raiders in 2022, and when all the stars aligned for him to succeed, it kind of everything went wrong for the team for it to go right for him. Um, we talked about that last year, and and he he definitely regressed. You know, only saw 805 yards last year on 13 games. Um, saw you know definitely a decline in receptions and and receiving yards as well. I don't think the market is hot for Josh Jacobs as they would be for Saquon Barkley. So I think a lot of the usual suspects that we just discussed would be kind of teams that Josh Jacobs could land in. I'll also throw out, you know, maybe the market doesn't pay him as much, so he ends up taking a deal someplace like Arizona, someplace like Tennessee that just wants to bring in a second back and go with a little bit more of a committee approach. Teams in great, you know, cap space situations. But let's talk about his potential replacement. Zamir White, people in the organization seem to like we saw Zamir White play well to the end of last to the end of last season as a fill-in for Jacobs. What would be your outlook on Zamir White if we were heading into the season with him as starting running back for the Las Vegas Raiders? Mm, I like Zamir White. I liked him out of college. I had owned like way too much in best ball the last couple of years, and it just didn't didn't quite work out as I thought it was. I mean, last year was great, but the year before I had him like it was like a lock in round 18, 19, 20, like every single draft. Uh, I'd say if he's a starting running back for Vegas, I'd say we probably see him going in like round six ish, probably that, you know, Ramondre Stevenson kind of Aaron Jones range probably float around there. He might, he might climb up a little higher depending upon who signs a quarterback. So there's kind of a lot of wiggle room based upon their quarterback situation. But I think that we have to look at him as, you know, high end RB two. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. There's a couple of guys like that. And one situation, if you want to talk about like blackjack split backfields where two guys could gain value, if one guy moves the lowest hanging fruit is Tennessee. Derrick Henry almost got traded to the Baltimore Ravens last year. Uh, and for whatever reason, that trade didn't go through. Uh, man, Billy, that could have been like a sliding doors type scenario because they would have been forced to, to, to have more running back carries 
uh, in the AFC Championship game if if King Henry was there. Um, I can't imagine that Todd Munkin would have gone with that plan with King Henry, but that's another show. But let's assume King Henry moves on. I think there's a lot of teams that are, that are going to be, you know, really kind of into the idea of bringing him in. The Dallases, the Baltimores, the Philadelphias, a lot of these teams that are, you know, see themselves as contenders, uh, you know, the, could use Derrick Henry in short yardage and goal line situations, use him in, as sort of the, the 60% in a, in a, in a committee. I think that's kind of how he rides out into the sunset still could give you 10 touchdowns next season. Um, and I think I, I would be into him on a number of those landing spots. Do you see that as well? Yeah, I, I think that's fairly accurate. He is 30 years old, so you've probably seen his best days behind him. But even in a down year last year, which most would consider it like a bad year for Derrick Henry, um, still finished as the RB16 in, in PPR leagues, still had 12 touchdowns, still had you know nearly 1,200 rushing yards, and this was on the Titans. And so I think that he still has some some – left in the tank. He's still a massive man. I think he's, depending upon the landing spot, could still succeed, especially behind a good offensive line. The Derrick Henry talk, though, kind of buries the lead because the next man in is Tajay Spears. How excited should fantasy managers be about Tajay? I've talked about him a lot on Dynasty shows, Sonic Truth, Dynasty Life, as a guy that I view that could take a James Cook, Rashad White-like leap as a year one to year two type back, give us top 15 production do you see Tajay Spears in the same light that I do as a guy who could just blow up this year I do I have some concerns about size and and, you know he's he's not he's not small by any means but he's a bit undersized right 510 201 pounds so um you have to be a slightly concerned there I don't think he's ever going to be a 250 kind of you know rushing attempt back like we saw King Henry, you know, 200, 300 attempts on an annual basis. So I think we're talking about more like 180, 200 yard, uh, 200 rushing attempts, but he's going to be utilized more in the passing game. And we saw last year, rookie campaign, 52 receptions. So I think that this is where Tajay Spears can be utilized. Um, maybe probably wise them to bring in another back, but I don't think that Tajay Spears will ever see the bulk of the workload. I think it's going to be more of a 55-45 kind of guy or a 60-40 split kind of guy. I think you nailed it with the the receiving work, though. I think that's the appeal for Tajay Spears. I think if it's his, if he's the 1A uh, and they bring in somebody who could, could absorb some carries, you know, he could catch 65 passes in what should be a pretty bad Tennessee team. And Callahan, coming over from Cincinnati, you know, we saw, you know, how Joe Mixon, Samaje Pirine, and Chase Brown were utilized. Uh, so I think Ty J Spears could be a huge winner this offseason. I'm kicking the, the tires on Ty J in, in dynasty leagues. There's no mar- market. Nobody wants to sell him because everybody kind of gets it. Uh, but one back, which I think is going a little bit under the radar, two other guys that are heading into their second seasons. And Billy, we saw how effective year two backs were last year. We had, I think, nine of them finish as RB2s. And most of them were not drafted as such. You saw guys like Brian Robinson, guys like Jalen Warren, Jerome Ford, obviously, you know, benefited from a, a Nick Chubb injury, but he still got you there. We saw a lot of these guys take a big step from year one to year two, whether it's the trust of the coaching staff, being more acclimated in NFL offense, all sorts of factors. But one guy that I think is a little under the radar that you're a big fan of is Chase Brown. If Joe Mixon is a potential cut candidate getting older, if Chase Brown is the 1A in some sort of a Cincinnati committee next year, how bullish should people be on him? He's being drafted as a borderline RB3, RB4 right now in underdog drafts and in FFPC. I'm seeing some very sharp money, guys that we respect drafting Chase Brown in a lot of these early best balls. And I know you spoke glowingly about him uh, you know, in terms of your, your views on him. How, how bullish should people be on him heading into next year? Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. Um, if he's the guy, very high. I don't think they're going to commit that way, though. I still think he's got some some learning curves and developmental stuff he's got to take care of. But I, I do think that he has the ability to be, you know, an RB2 in this league um, for fantasy purpose. I mean, he's immensely talented. This is... <laughs> 
it's kind of a Darrington Evans guy who, you know, I have yes. this affinity towards and I just never was able to get off the train, even though he was always injured. Um, like Darrington Evans could sign tomorrow and I'd still be a Darrington Evans fan. And so um, I look at Chase Brown as having that type of skill set. We're talking, you know, like lightning speed, 4.4 speed. We're talking about, um, you know, super bursty, super quick, super agile, strong as well. So um, this is a back that I think could be really dangerous if he was given the workload, but I've been suckered into this 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 before with the talent of an individual and their athleticism, and they just don't ever get the the full opportunity. So it's gonna break down to opportunity and how much they let him touch the ball. But if he's given that chance, I mean, man, we're talking about you know RB eighteen to twenty four probably on a week to week basis. It's I just don't think they'll they'll actually commit to him. Yeah, I think that you're probably right. It's kind of one of those pipe dreams. Um, I love you bring up Dar- Darrington Evans. It's like a, fa- a first-class fantasy rule that we have to bring up Darrington Evans like once every six shows. There's somewhere in the multiverse. It's like, my Darren- tell me no, but my body's telling me yes. I, you know, once I once I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Billy Muzio, somewhere in the multiverse, there's another Billy Muzio who won like $3 million on all his Darrington Evans shares that one yes. season where he was loading up. But I, yeah, Chase Chase Brown is a guy there that I think even if he's a committee back, I, I still think he could return like RB3 value next year just because he looks so good with the ball in his hands and he's looked so capable as a receiver. Uh, and he really, his sample size was so low last year, missed so yeah. much time. So I'm into Chase Brown. I'm into kicking the tires. Uh, and if you're an FFPC dynasty manager, our friends over at the FFPC have cut day in March where some dynasty rosters are not able to hold on to Chase Brown, I'm kicking the tires. If I can find room for him, that's a guy who could gain an exceptional amount of value over the next few months. Uh, Sticking with the potential cut candidates, Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has this really weird contract where I believe that the Saints could save somewhere like $12 million if they cut him. And the Saints have the worst cap situation in the league. Uh, they're, it's an absurd amount of, of cap space over. They're in terrible situations. So I think the Alvin Kamara cut is going to go down. First off, with what you saw from Kamara last year, how attractive would he be as a free agent candidate for a lot of teams in the NFL? Um, he's definitely on the decline. Um, I don't think they utilized him properly, though. So we, we saw when he was actually utilized, he was still effective. Um, his skill set, you know, doesn't have a lot of tread in the tires. We've used a lot more in the passing game. Um, but I don't think he's gone. I still think I'm pulling up the contract right now. So uh, base salary, 10 million. Um, cap hit, 18 million. Dead cap, 17 million. So I, I, they're going to have to restructure that contract. So I, I think he stays and it's restructured. If he leaves, how should drafters be viewing Kendra Miller? Kendra Miller was a third oh, rounder. Left. Sucks. Okay, so you're on the Kendra Miller <laughs> sucks train. Okay, all right, we're we're good with that. We can move on because there's a little bit of steam on Kendra. So Billy Muzio from the the kind of the replacement gut shot straight backs. If you had to rank them with Tajay Spears, Chase Brown, Zamir White, of and Kendra Miller, you would have Kendra fourth, and the other. And how would you rank the other three? From a pure talent talent standpoint, yes. Opportunity standpoint, I'd probably put Kendra ahead of Chase Brown. Zamir's number one, Tajay's two, and then Chase, and then and then Kendra in a talent stand. I mean, from a uh, yeah, from a opportunity standpoint, as of today, guys, that's the takeaway from the show. If you're a dynasty manager, is Billy's on Zamir White ahead of of Tajay Spears talent wise. So if you're looking to pick up somebody cheap that could pay off big dividends, Zamir costs rounds and rounds less than Tajay Spears right now in Dynasty. Billy, I'm going to throw out two guys that really were letdowns last year, both entering the free agent marketplace. Austin Eckler, Tony Pollard. Which one of these guys is dustier? Which one of these guys would you be more excited about as a potential bounce-back candidate for next season? Uh, I think that Eckler's definitely dustier. He's going to be 29 this year. Uh, and, I mean, it just looked gassed at it's times. Awful. I know that he probably played injured most of the season, but uh, he's just at that age apex where it's just there's no coming back from it as a running back, really. Um, Tony Pollard, on the other hand, I still think has t- uh, some something left in the tank. He was coming off that tightrope surgery. We saw him lose burst in the beginning of the season. It started coming back towards the end. I don't think we're going to see the Tony Pollard that we saw with him and Zeke when he was that explosive back. I think he lost that with that surgery. I do think it's going to be better next year. I'm just 
I, I so to answer your question in a long-winded way, Tony Pollard's my answer. Yeah, I'm on Tony Pollard as well. I'm not excited about either one of them. We need to find like a new a new uh, a new term because the dead zone is now like redefined. I guess we just it's still the dead zone, but the dead zone's like later. Austin Eckler is your classic. You can just see it now. Eckler lands with some team that there's the perception that he's going to get usage and he's going to end up in the eighth round in drafts next year. And it's just like a sunken pick. I can just see it now. Uh, Pollard, I don't know. Like Pollard, you know, he could be potentially healthier next year because this, you know, he was coming off of an injury this year, played pretty much the entire season on it and didn't look quite as explosive. Could he potentially, that could be, you know, something he could get right in the offseason? I don't know. I tend to think that neither one are going to be guys that I'm going to want too much of in fantasy next year. One guy, though, that had a really nice small sample size was Zach Moss. And Zach Moss is 25 years old. Is Zach Moss a guy, if he lands well, you're interested in or completely like whatever? I want nothing to do with Zach Moss. This This was a desperation. It worked one time. This is the classic... Who was the the running back that was with? I forget. I'm blanking on the name right now. The Panthers running back that um, was no, it wasn't Jonathan. Was it Jonathan Stewart? Who, who was it that everyone was drafted him in like round three because he had one good year and then he was came a free. D'Angelo agent. Williams. And that was D'Angelo Williams. It was um, oh man. I'm blanking right now. Um, I don't remember who the back was, but out was, on Zach Moss. Out on this, Zach Moss. Out on Zach Moss. But this is the classic scenario where they performed well in a in a in an opportunity where they were given you know pretty much the bulk of the the workload. Everything went right, and then became a free agent, and he's going to squander the opportunity in a new situation where it's not going to be the same. We will move on from Zach Moss. We're never going to get that 15 seconds back. Antonio Gibson, though, Billy has flashed for us. We have a, a question in the chat from from B Ball 3710. He wants to know what we think of Antonio Gibson as a potential landing spot guy. This is a, another one where I think that fantasy managers have liked Antonio Gibson more than maybe the market would because Antonio Gibson, we've always like thought he could take on more. And he has had some issues with fumbles over the years that I think held him back with Rivera. Thoughts on Gibson? Is there scenarios where he lands well and you're like really in on him? Now I think we're looking at a timeshare best case scenario again. This is, could be a um, a lightning to somebody else's thunder in Arizona. Arizona makes a lot of sense for me. They need that back. That after, since they lost Edmonds, that role hasn't been quite the same. Um, so I think that Arizona makes the most sense for me for Gibson. And then I like yes, it was Mike Davis. That's exactly Mike Davis. What it was. Nice call. Yeah. Nice call. Um, so yeah, that's Mike Davis. Was that twenty twenty? Signs two? filled in for McCaffrey. Signs yeah. with the Atlanta Falcons. There's the picture of him in the preseason with like quads the size of like <laughs> yes. a like a yes. like the like literally was like a barrel size quad. It was not a really great picture, but people yeah. were like into quadzilla back then. And yeah, you know, Zach, Zach Moss is going to be 2024. Mike Davis is what that's going to be. But the uh, back to Gibson. I think best landing spot for Gibson for me would be Arizona. Utilize him in in a in a committee. And then for Fant, actually Fant, I've been hoping he actually lands inside of the Vikings just because it'd be a great fill-in for Hawkinson. They don't need to rush him back. He's going to be given the opportunity to succeed and finally and be a pass-friendly offense with a quarterback would be able to support him because Fant's very talented. He was just hasn't really hit the ceiling that we thought he was going to be. I mean, we're talking about one of the most athletic tight ends in the league um, coming out of college and just hasn't really hit his ceiling. So that would be a great scenario because they don't need to rush back Hawkinson. And then now if it works out, now you have this, you know, 12 personnel set that could be pretty dangerous. And then if you lose somebody like Jefferson or Addison, you're not really going to skip a beat with 12 personnel. Stay with, stay with tight ends. And I, yeah, I love, I love what you talked about with Fant because Fant gave us some like low end tight end one production in Denver. Then he's part of the Russell Wilson trade and just never sort of like took off in, in Seattle. But I think the talent's kind of there for him to provide like, you know, high end tight end two production for an entire season uh, he was a very highly drafted player, uh, and that kind of still will resonate with with NFL GMs. But the tight end that's kind of the most uh, most talked about in terms of like number one in the tight end free agent rankings, and he'll certainly be my top ranked uh, tight end in my article coming out is Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz has been uh, you know in advantageous situations, but he actually produced more in terms of a per game basis and in terms of 
you know, some, some of the volume he received this year in Houston than he did in Dallas. Dallas, he gave us that one year where he was tight end three, gave us multiple seasons of tight end one production after that. And then this season, he was essentially a back end tight end one in points per game, got injured at the end. But it would make sense for Houston to bring him back. If he moves on, is this a guy that is a little bit underrated or is he just a compiler that's happened to play with Dak Prescott and CJ Stroud? No, I, I think Schultz is kind of going to be that 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 kind of high end tight end two mid maybe maybe mid range tight end two some some seasons, but I think he's going to kind of be that tight end twelve through fifteen range kind of his whole career. Like he's going to have spikes, but he's solid enough to where he's going to perform, and no team's ever going to commit to him. But he's going to continue to get his his chances. You know, kind of think of like. Ryan Fitzpatrick, but the tight end position is just going to be thrown around the league and kind of fill in everywhere he can and always have an opportunity. That's how I view Dalton Schultz. Um, I, I think he's kind of underrated, quite frankly. I was I, I was higher on him last year than, than a lot were. Um, would have liked to see him be a little bit more active earlier in the season when he was with um, Houston, but I think that that'd be another opportune spot for him. If he, I mean, Vikings, I would not like to see him in the Vikings because then Second half of the season, we're going to see him just get crushed from opportunity standpoint. So Chargers, I would like to see Dalton Schultz in a full-time capacity. Chargers, it seems like kind of a, a John Harbaugh is going to look to do some things with the tight end position. It just seems very Harbaugh-like from his time at Stanford and Michigan. Uh, but I'll say the number one, like Ryan Fitzpatrick type guys, your favorite player in the history of the NFL is also a free agent, and that's Gerald Everett. Uh, so Gerald Everett is a free agent. I think he's going to be another guy like kind of in that fan bucket. Gerald Everett would actually be a really fun one as like a fill in in Minnesota. If they're looking to like kind of fill in for Hawkinson, um, and Everett could kind of land pretty well. Hunter Henry, uh, Billy, any, any thoughts on Henry or Everett as guys that could have, uh, you know, some value in the open market? Um, Henry, maybe I, I could see, I could see new England just resigning him. Um, yeah. Everett. Man, Everett drops a lot of balls. I don't know how GMs are going to look at him. You know, he's got again and so much talent. This was a guy that, that I was kind of pretty high on coming out of the draft when he came in. It was an early round two pick, if I believe. That was the first <laughs> uh, pick ever for for Sean McVay as the yeah. LA Rams, and there was so much hype behind Gerald Everett. He gave us a couple of insane games on that loaded uh, Rams team, but it was, it was always like a lot to be left desired. And then he'd have some insane, insane highlights, and you'd be like, okay, I'm back in on Gerald Everett. And then it just kind of never really happened. Had some moments in LA, uh, but nothing like really, really, uh, you know, consistent production. But he's like these guy in the NBA who signs with a different team every single year <laughs> and does just enough to at least annoy us in fantasy. Yes. Um, Henry, though, Henry had a couple of really big games last year. I think it would make sense for New England, especially with Mayo as the head coach, just to bring back Hunter yeah. Henry. Um, and New England certainly has a ton of cap space and a lot of uncertainty at the wide receiver position. And Billy, we we gotta we gotta charge through some of these wide receivers. Of course, we spent too much time on the other positions, quarterback and tight end, and now we got to rush through wide receivers. But Michael Pittman and T. Higgins, both of these guys would make total sense to either be franchise tagged or receive extensions from their team. Do you see either situation playing out anything but those two scenarios? Um, T Higgins, I don't think, I think T Higgins probably goes, okay. um, I do. I think Pittman, Pittman will get, Pittman will stay. He's either, I think extended or a franchise tag one of two, but I think, I think Higgins is gone. Oh, that well, So that's, you know, and the GM this week made a, made a point about that. Uh, the, the franchise tag hit, you know, it would be like a 22, 22 million or something that have to pay him for one year. But Joe Burrow has been very vocal about wanting T Higgins back. I think that's kind of like a key to to his. He views it as a key to his success, a key to keeping the pressure off of Chase, and it makes total sense. I think there would be a lot of animosity towards towards you know the 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 like the brass in Cincinnati if that did not go down. But let's say T Higgins, uh, you know, moves on. Let's say T Higgins goes to a place where it could be an ugly situation, but he ends up being a hundred and fifty target, hundred and forty five target player, which we've never seen from T Higgins. Let's say T. Higgins goes to a bad team, but he's the unquestioned focal point of the offense. Let's say the Carolina Panthers signed T. Higgins. Where would you be treating him in that sort of situation? Probably like round three. Um, yeah. I think that's 
he probably lives there because he has the ceiling to be more, but he's has some downfall to quarterback play. Um, I just pulled up the Bengals cap space. We're talking, they definitely have the cap space to keep T it looks like. Um, so it's definitely on the table still. Uh, I'd like to see a move just because I think he could be wide receiver one in offense pretty easily. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll have to see what they do across the board. But I, I think that if T's number one somewhere, I think he'll still succeed. I'd like to see him be the number one somewhere. Yeah. It's kind of like one of those things where, We've seen T. Higgins have Except multiple the Titans. Seasons. I don't want to see him number one of the Titans. Like and that here. that was one team <laughs> I was going to ask you about because Tennessee has a ton of cap space. They've got a, a young quarterback in Will Levis who really, no. you know, is not there. But you certainly want to give him some help. Uh, if T. If T. Higgins ends up in Tennessee, I I, I can't get in on that one. No, I think I'd that like, one would be, be really like four tough. or five turn. But I think you know a Dave Canales, Bryce Young. Uh, you know, kind of a rebound season. You know, I was very harsh on Bryce Young, but Canales has been sort of a, a quarterback whisperer. Uh, and Bryce Young certainly could take a big year one to year two leap if they give him a weapon like T. Higgins. So that's one to look at. And if, if T. Higgins returns to Cincinnati, I still think he's a big bounce back candidate for next season. Um, we've always kind of liked his talent and kind of been in on him here at, at uh, First Class Fantasy. Uh, but Michael Pittman, I think, is definitely going to be back in Indianapolis. We can move on from that one, Billy. Yeah, I think he's back in the list. Where where you take him in drafts? Like two, three turn? Well, he's going 29th uh, on underdog. I think that's about correct. I will say that the one thing about Michael Pittman is will the target total be there with Anthony Richardson where they have a little bit more and, and a full season of Jonathan Taylor? It's been sort of a, a, a Michael Pittman roulette where two seasons ago he got steamed up to like the two, three turn. And he failed to deliver at that price. Then last year, he goes in like the seventh round and was a massive ADP success story. Now we're seeing him corrected back into like the third round. It's appropriate. But Billy, I don't know if it's necessarily like, I believe in Michael Pittman. I think he's a really talented guy. But he's still, to me, a really great possession receiver, more so than anything. And he had his career high in everything this year in air yards, in targets, in catches, at 109 catches. I don't know if he'll get 109 catches with Anthony Richardson. Now, we could make an argument that the pie grows larger and Anthony Richardson makes it so Michael Pittman could get you eight or nine touchdown catches instead of like the five or so he got this year. So I think it's he's appropriately priced. Will I have a ton of him at that price? No, but I'm not opposed to drafting him structurally because I think he's a safe wide receiver too. Uh, in that offense, just based on his talent and what he's done the last two years. Yeah, he definitely saw an uptick in targets when Richardson went down, but it wasn't like he didn't see targets when Richardson was in. He saw 46 targets in the first five weeks, which is the same amount of games that Richardson played. So just under just under 10 targets a week. So, I mean, that's that's definitely, you know, wide receiver one territory. Now, we, we definitely want to see, you know, some double-digit weeks to help offset those those those. Uh, you know, eight, nine target weeks that we're going to see. So I think he's probably appropriately priced as well. And shout out to the chat, you know, just to get, not to get too dynasty focused here. There's a sell Pittman uh, from, shout out to Daryl D. He's active in the chat, but I don't think the market is there for Pittman, like in dynasty. I haven't seen a ton of like Michael Pittman trades based on, he's almost like in a purgatory territory where you're not getting like the 104. Nobody's giving up like the 104 in a single QB league for Michael Pittman right now. So it's a little bit of a disconnect. I think he's more of a, you have him on your roster and you're happy about it type guy. Um, he's been consistently solid, Billy. Uh, and I think that he deserves a payday and deserves to continue being a Houston, an Indianapolis Colt. Uh, let's talk about one guy who took a big hit this year, Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown, does he see a uh, bounce back in the market? This is a guy that commanded a first round pick from Arizona. They traded him, traded, uh, traded a, a first round pick to Baltimore. Hollywood Brown had some successful moments. And then this year, the entire season, we kind of waited around and waited around and waited around thinking Kyler's coming, Kyler's coming. He was actually much better at the beginning of the year uh, with Josh Dobbs than he was at any time with Kyler Murray. And then he got hurt as well. So Hollywood Brown, there's sort of like literally no buzz on him in redraft, best ball, or in dynasty circles. Does he see a bounce back? It's been kind of rumored that Kyler wants him back in Arizona. They have a ton of cap space. That was his college teammate. They, they're apparently friends off the field. Uh, but let's say he goes elsewhere. 
does he regain some value here or is this just a kind of a role player moving forward? No, I, I, why does he have 49 is where he finished that? I think he definitely bounces back from that. I don't think yeah. we'll see, you know, top 24 anymore, but I could see like mid range, you know, RB three back in RB three, wide receiver three. I mean, so you're talking like wide receiver 34, 36 ish range. Um, I could see that. Uh, it just depends on the landing spot and where he's going to go. And if the quarterback's willing to throw the ball deep. So there's a lot of variables here, but uh, he could end up very well back in Arizona with a, with a, a contract. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of like where the market is on him because a lot of times these younger free agents uh, have a little bit more attention than than we would think. And uh, I want to want to spend some extra time on Mike Evans, but before we do that, any any thought on Darnell Mooney? You know, being one of these guys that's flashed enough in his NFL career, and maybe some team views him as a guy that hey, maybe I can get what we saw to Darnell Mooney in, in year two in a new situation. I know you've been a fan of Mooney in years past, Billy, obviously, you know, took a big hit last year. Um, where are you at on Mooney in terms of your thoughts on him as a talent versus just a guy who had a, a decent season? I, I think Mooney could thrive in the right, in the right system. Um, I, I honestly would love to see him like in Kansas city. I don't think it'll happen, but that would be a good fit. They need a receiver. They can get a cheap option here with Darnell Mooney. They're not going to need to overpay. They're going to be able to continue to build the defense and the line and continue to make improvements on the offense without having to, you know, reach too far in the draft or, or overspend at the position like they did in the past years at the wide receiver position where they overpaid Juju and they overpaid, you know, Marcus Valdez-Scantling. So I think they're definitely going to be in the market for a receiver. We'll see who it ends up being, but I'd love to see Kansas City. Calvin Ridley last year steamed up in drafts, started out the season, uh, you know, not playing so well compared to Christian Kirk. Actually had a really big game one and then sort of had like a slow drip down, then actually had a couple of big games late. It was a weird season for Calvin Ridley. It seems like he left a lot of points on the field, obviously missed the season before. It would make sense to me to see him back in Jacksonville, but there's no telling that. How do you think the market perceives Calvin Ridley? He's getting old, man. I mean, yeah. we, we talked about it last year. I mean, you know, I wasn't a Ridley fan last year. I didn't like his ADP. It was going too expensive. Um, consistently beat the drum for Christian Kirk over him. And, you know, Kirk got hurt. And so it, it, he still finished only five spots behind him in wide receiver rankings, despite playing five fewer games. And so um, Ridley's just never really been that receiver for me. That uh, I don't know what people were so enamored by his 2020 season that they just figured that's what he's been doing his whole career, and it's not. That was an outlier. And so, um, I one, think he, one single thousand yard season in his career, Billy. He hit it this year, 2023. Oh, two, so excuse me, two, two now, two now. So, but it was one up until the beginning of last year. And so, I think, I mean, he was kind of in one of the best case scenarios last year and still underperformed. And so, um, yes, he could succeed in, you know, many offenses and probably still finish in this, you know, back end, uh, wide receiver two high end or wide receiver three range, but, um, he's going to need to see volume to get there. And so I just, I, I think he's going to be, I kind of look at him the same as I do, as I did last year. Um, the landing spots going to determine it all, but I, I think someone will overpay for him. Absolutely. is where we're going with this, but I do think someone overpay for him and he'll probably sign a big contract, but I, I, I just, I, I'm not sold on him. So we also have the wide receiver that you, Josh Larkey um, and the two of us had a mock draft and mm -hmm. you selected Mike Evans in the middle of the second round. We did a basically really early 2024 mock draft. Highly recommend you check out that episode. It's still got a lot of bearing um, and it's got evergreen quality, but Billy, Mike Evans. Mike Evans led the NFL in touchdown receptions this season, was one of the best picks you could have made at the wide receiver position in terms of ADP beating, uh, has showed no signs of aging. Now he's heading into a free agent period where he could return to Tampa Bay or he could go play for anybody. I think there's going to be a ton of teams who view Mike Evans as a guy who can help us get to the Super Bowl, whether it's a Kansas City, whether it's a Buffalo whether it's the Las Vegas Raiders saying, you know what, we're just going to bring him in and use this cap space. The Houston Texans have been rumored to bring in Mike Evans. Do you see Mike Evans returning to Tampa and finishing out his career as legendary career as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Or do you see him moving on to greener pastures and being somebody's, you know, either 1A or 1B? I think it's a scenario where they re-sign him and he spends his entire career with one team. I mean, he's just been too good to let walk. And 
Uh, we're talking since 2014 has had a thousand yards or more in every single season. Um, you know, double digit touchdowns nearly every year outside of four, I think. Um, consistently, you know, 70 plus receptions. This is a guy that is, you know, consistently inside the top 10 at the wide receiver position. So I think he resigns. They have enough cap space. They got 37 million in cap space to make it happen. They can they can keep the band together per se with Baker and 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 with Evans, and they can roll with it in 2020, 2024. So I think he stays. Let's say he's a Kansas City Chief. Where oh, would he man. be selected in drafts? The uh, white round one. Round one, right? He'd be yeah. like a one-two turn guy right there with like man, like, I could see him. I could see him going like one four to one six in drafts. Okay, so let's say that Mike Evans is a Kansas City Chief. Oh, don't get me excited here, Theo. Okay, Mike Evans, Kansas <laughs> City Chief, uh, AJ Brown or Mike Evans? Um, I would I would take Mike Evans as Chief. Garrett Wilson or Mike Evans. I'm taking Mike Evans as the Chief. So there you go, guys. This is the the big domino to fall. And I think there's also like a he would I probably think, be my wide receiver too if he's inside of the Chiefs offense. That's like wild. it would it would be like Justin Jefferson. Mike Evans, maybe. I mean, you could argue, you could argue him being one instead of the Chiefs' offense, especially looking at the weapons that they don't have and the decline of Kelsey. I mean, you, he's been able to put up thousand-yard seasons with everybody at quarterback. Imagine now he's with you know one of the one of the greatest to do it at the quarterback position. You're talking about like a fifteen to sixteen hundred-yard season, probably you know twelve to fifteen touchdowns, and and that's that's not outside of the line of what he's done when like with quarterbacks who are far less of the talent. And so if Evans lands on the chiefs, oh man, I, I, I think Twitter would explode. Keep an eye on Houston. I think Houston's the the team with, with uh, Mike Evans could view that as a team. That's a, a contender. They have the cap space, the early Nico Collins and tank Dell drafters would hate it, but that's exactly the kind of player that could help CJ Stroud take another big leap forward in year two. He would fit pretty much seamlessly in that offense. That offense under Slowick is consistently putting three wide receivers on the field. I believe they led the NFL in uh, three wide receiver sets in terms of percentage, um, at least early in the season they were leading. So that's I think that would be a scenario that I could see in terms of cap space. I also think that you know if you bring up the T. Higgins moves on in Cincinnati, Cincinnati has the cap space to take on Mike Evans, just plug him in there, and they'd have to give him less guaranteed years. Uh, where he could maybe do a two or three year deal for Evans, whereas Higgins is going to demand an AJ Brown contract. There's so many teams that I think could could uh, and I see one person in the chat. There is a scenario, uh, Billy, where Brandon Ayuk has been uh, discussed as a potential guy that needs to get moved or a potential cut candidate because of the Debo contract. How upset would you be if Brandon Ayuk was not a San Francisco 49er next year? I'd be upset, but I mean, just got to move forward all right it's business in the nfl um i don't think it happens i think he stays but it's, i do um, too i think they'll figure it out i think like iuk is iuk is so good though but iuk would be like we could do a whole show on this what player in the nfl could be wide receiver one overall if they saw the targets if you i get i get it like people say theo iuk's getting a 25 percent target share but if you got him the target total that some of these guys get brandon you could go percent 32 percent yeah on i mean he would go insane so that's that's one. But I will throw out two guys that I think we got to wrap it up in a second. Uh, but there's two guys that I want to keep an eye on as cut candidates, and it's both Los Angeles Chargers wide receivers, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Both of these guys look like cut candidates to me. Uh, LA's in 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 weird cap sh- uh, space uh, hell. They I think they have the fourth worst cap situation uh, in the NFL right now. And Keenan Allen again was incredibly effective this year with Kellen Moore, uh, and I, I think Keenan Allen's game would translate literally anywhere. Um, you could plug him in, into a ton of offenses, and he could help pretty much any quarterback in the league, but I think that's a situation where one or both of those guys is gone. Is that how you're looking at it as well? Yeah, or restructure. They could just restructure it. But he is – I mean, it's a cap hit of 34, almost $35 million, dead cap of 11, so – Definitely a candidate, but more than likely restructure. He's been an integral part of of their team, and I, I, another guy that probably just sticks around. And Herbert and him have had so much success together. I think they want to keep it. The chat is lit. Uh, everyone stick with First Class Fantasy all off season long. And if you like content like this, we're bringing you a lot of shows at Player Profiler. Make sure you're subscribed to Player Profiler YouTube. Uh, and Billy, what do you have going on, man? I know you're heading out to Vegas right after the uh, the Super Bowl for the FSGA. 
Yep, going to the FSGA out there. Um, that's going to be fun. Matt and I are going to be presenting out there. Um, and and it's going to be, you know, a, the launch, or not launch, but the announcement of something very special here at Player Profiler. Um, so keep your eyes and ears peeled. We're going to be doing talking more about that. It's been a project I've been working on behind the scenes now for over a year. And so um, this is massive, folks. When I say massive, you just don't understand the, like, the level of magnitude this is going to be for us at, at Player Profiler. So very excited to finally be able to speak to that once the time has come. Um, but I've been working on that kind of silently and quietly behind the scenes, doing less content, more of that. And so um, that's where I have been hiding and lurking in the shadows. Um, but I will be on Sirius XM uh, radio tonight with with Bob Harris and Mike Dempsey and then um, kind of, you know, starting the projections here for the site here in the coming weeks. Yeah, definitely. Look, there's some really cool stuff we're going to be announcing. Very exciting things. And then if you want uh, 2024 focused shows, I dropped two episodes of press coverage this week, one with Andrew Erickson looking at flag plants, ADP debates, and some rankings. And then I had one show with Davis Maddock where we talked about early best ball strategy, also some 2024 rankings, and guys, we want a flag plant. So we're, we're it's it's not even February yet, but we're getting you ready for 2024 redraft season. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. Stick with us here at Player Profiler.